Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. With all due respect, I reject your theory completely. But you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on? The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Move for present. Get in the race. Will he run? And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Off and running to start a week. It's Monday. It is 12.09. It is a Wagnerless edition. Jeff's still enjoying his vacation. Parts unknown. And uh, he'll be back uh, in a few days. Scott War is sitting in for him. And uh, you can, as the big voice guy said, get involved. 414-799-1620. That is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You can email in scott.warris at wtmj.com, scott.warris at wtmj.com, W-A-R-R-A-S. If you'd like to follow me, you're welcome to do so. Just peel off by nightfall because it gets awkward after that. Uh, Kyle is here. Gru is gone as well. Gru and Jeff continuing uh, their vacation. And uh, that just speaks to the relationship that they have. It's good to have a tight relationship between the host and the producer. So Kyle sits in for Gru. A couple of interesting things, as I said with Steve and Carol there for a moment. Um, we're going to dive into the the debate, the great cashless debate. Cash or no cash? Where do you come down? For those of you who are regular listeners, I think you know where I come down on that debate. But nevertheless, there are no lawmakers stepping forward, not just here in Wisconsin. I had that story eh, maybe two weeks ago. There are lawmakers across the country that are stepping up saying, look, there are certain retail outlets and retail stores in many states that are eliminating cash. If all you have is cash, not here. Sorry. Well, there are lawmakers stepping in to say, look, you you need to accept cash as a form of payment. You can't outlaw that. We'll see if that's something they should be doing. And it, maybe the question in general will be asked should you ditch your cash? Is that just the way we're going? And those of us who love cash have to deal with it. Interesting story out of Michigan as well. Western Michigan. New school is opening up in a couple of years. And they are building it in a way that could deter school shootings. It's interesting. Some people are upset about that. We'll get into that. And the Mr. Rogers movie. Did, did you know that this was in the works? Have you been paying attention to this? Have you seen the trailer? Tom Hanks is playing the role of Fred Rogers. It debuted at the Toronto International Film Festival over the weekend. And by all accounts, to rave reviews, people crying in the, in the, uh, in the theater. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. That's the name of the movie. That's a great pick, by the way. I think there's something, and I, I, I predict that this movie, once it opens here in the United States, is going to be a big, a big boom, and I think it's going to surprise people in that way. But I think there's a few reasons and a few angles to dive into as to why that's the case. I mean, Mr. Rogers has been dead for, uh, let's see, gosh, over a decade now. And yet, what would it be about that movie and that person that would make 
a movie about his life successful. We'll get into that because I think there's something that something going on there that Americans are going to embrace again, all over again. Let's start with the Michigan story, shall we? So we know that school shootings have become, sadly, admittedly so, have become all too common. And lawmakers are trying to tussle with the idea of what can they do when it comes to gun control, what can they do when it comes to red flag law, what can be done at a political level to somehow curb school violence, right? Well, there is a high school, it's a new high school in Michigan, and they're kind of taking matters into their own hands. And there are some who are upset about this, some who are saying you're actually giving in by doing this. It is Fruitport High School. It's in western Michigan, Muskegon County, right across right across the pond. And set to open in the summer of 2021, so it's still a couple years out. It's a new building that will feature curved hallways, protective wing walls, impact-resistant windows, and doors that lock with a touch of a smartphone. I've never heard of anything like this happening elsewhere. Maybe it has, but this is the first that I've heard of it. The superintendent of schools said the measures which were supplemented by a a six-figure grant from Michigan State Police, can potentially save lives in an active shooter situation. Here's what he says. So often we feel like we're going to be hapless victims that there's nothing that we can do until after the shooting happens. But what I'm learning is there is a lot that we can do on the front end. He said the idea to design the new building, and that's really what they're doing, I mean, from the ground up, quite literally. The idea to design the new building with non-traditional safety measures came after a group of parents in the community advocated for a new building. The old one goes back to the 1950s. It was agreed that the new facility will be built around the old one, and to do this, the hallways had to be curved. Hmm. When we were sitting with the architect during the design phase and were looking at this curved structure, somebody said, you know... That cuts down the line of sight of an active shooter. From that point, they started to brainstorm what else they could do to keep the kids secure. For example, hallways and classrooms are wing walls, concrete extensions that will further reduce the line of sight of a shooter and act as a shield for hiding students. So what that looks like is, you know, you open a door. Well... Behind the now opened door, the wall juts out a few feet, okay, thus inhibiting line of sight down a hall whereby as soon as a door opens, you see every person come out. So there's a a wall that juts out behind the open door by several feet, okay? Meanwhile, the windows of the classrooms that face the hallways will be covered in impact-resistant film. If someone, they say, wanted to get through that glass, it would take them a while. And by the time they were able to get through, law enforcement would be here to neutralize that threat. The building will also incorporate access control locks under control of school officials. The building is designed to be compartmentalized. Fire doors can close in various locations, reducing an active shooter's mobility in the building. Hmm. 
Again, the uh, school superintendent said, we did not want to remind students that this is here to keep you safe in the event there's an active shooter. Because a lot of the design elements appear, you know, are meant to appear as non-existent. If you walked into our school, you would have no clue there were any of these security design elements anywhere. We want our school to be warm, welcoming, and just as an awesome place for students to learn. Because if you think about it, on its surface, if you just walked into a school and you notice that all the classrooms are curved, or all the hallways, rather, are curved, and there's a, there's a little mini wall that juts out behind every door to a classroom, and the composite structure of windows that face the hallway, I mean, who pays attention to that? You see the window, you say, hey, there's a window. You don't really think about what's the makeup (laughs) behind the substance of the window. Those are all things that, as the superintendent says, has been done to protect our students without, in your face, protection. And I think it's brilliant. I really do. It's one of those things where you go, man, why didn't anybody else think of this? Right? Now, there are some people who are unhappy about this. One of them is a former presidential candidate who took to Twitter over the weekend. I'll share with you what they had to say, and I want your reaction to this. Is this something that perhaps other schools, other districts should consider doing? Now, you certainly can't do this to existing buildings without undertaking a massive price tag, but if school districts are looking at building new schools... High schools, whatever, doesn't matter. Grade schools, middle schools. Is this something that should be in the mind of principals, superintendents, school boards, those who make the decision about what that new building is going to look like? 414-799-1620 on the Akinen Mortgage Talk and Text Line or say, no, Scott, you're just giving in. This is ridiculous. This is unnecessary. This is silly. This is letting them win. Them or they being those who seek to do harm. 414-799-1620. Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll share with you one of the critiques of this and who levied that criticism in two minutes. And we'll also go to you. When we come back, Scott Warris in for Jeff Wagner on a Monday. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Scott Warris in for Jeff Wagner. Now, as I said, this idea, this concept in Michigan has been widely praised. The uh, Texas State University criminal justice professor, Pete Blair, who is an expert when it comes to researching active shooter events, said... This school is not necessarily alone in thinking about design elements of new buildings or even existing ones in some way, shape, or form to make it more difficult for a shooter, right? He says the design elements definitely have potential to reduce casualty rates in the event of an active shooter situation. He said it is important to protect students in the nation's current environment and that it makes no sense to consider, it makes sense to consider potential threats when designing new buildings. And they're subtle. The subtle changes that are made, he says, does, doesn't anticipate the new design will be frightening to students. Or Yeah, like I said, you walk into a building like this, you don't even think for a second that, oh, that's going to help or that's going to help, right? So I mentioned that there was somebody who was critical of this. 
Hillary Clinton, yep, takes to Twitter to weigh in on the matter, saying, we're utterly failing kids as a society when we build schools to accommodate shooters rather than students. So, a little criticism there in that respect. Um, and I can't find it. I, I don't. I think this is creative. I think this is smart. If it's within the realm of you know, the financial parameters that were authorized by taxpayers, is it sad? Of course it is. Sign of the times, yeah, but these this is the age in which we live. Uh, on the text line, uh, let's see, George, um, just like, he, he kind of draws an analogy. He says, like, this is just like you put sprinklers in a building to prevent it from burning, just like you put alarms in the building to prevent it from uh, fire. Uh, just like you make burn-resistant materials, we need to do the same for gunfire. Again, it's it's subtle changes to structures, to facilities that have been targeted by this type of violence. Matt in Port Washington. Uh, let's see. I 100% support a proactive model and method to improving security at any new school, update or construction-wise. 224. As much as I hate to spend the money, I'm all in when it comes to redesigning the schools to make them safer. From active shooters, if we had as many children dying in school fires every year, we would not hesitate to make schools more fire resistant. These are the times we live in, and we need to change with the times. It's very true. and I, I have a hard time finding much, and there are some people grousing about it, but... And I think... In a lot of ways, any criticism of this idea simply comes from the refusal to believe that this problem of school shootings are going to go away anytime soon. I understand that you don't want to give in, but nevertheless, there is enough evidence now in front of us. And moving forward, if if this was proposed, if this is something that can save some lives... Why shouldn't we be for it? Be curious to see if, uh, if there's any schools maybe in Wisconsin who have gone down a similar path or may go down a similar path in the future with these little nuances to new schools, new buildings to make them safer while not overtly in your face. Hey, our school has been built with school shootings in mind. We'll continue with more in just a couple of moments. Scott Warris in for Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. You know, that last kind of story there of the school in Michigan that is changing the way that the new school, I should say, the new high school is being built with mass shootings in mind. You know, it does beg the question, how often do you in your everyday life, how often does the idea, does the thought of mass shootings enter your mind as you are out and about living your life? I'll admit, it's in my mind a lot more than it was five years ago, let's say, certainly more than 10 years ago, but even just in the last couple of years. And it, it's one of those things where and I'm, maybe, I'm alo- maybe I'm alone, maybe not. I'd be curious to know if anybody's willing to share. I, I just, I think in this day and age, there is a, look, this is something that is happening in our society and until there is a significant change in this sad, sad development, I think 
we're smart to kind of have it on our minds in some ways. I was at this, uh, this was last week sometime, went to a fast food restaurant, and I'm, I will, a uh, little uh, self-disclosure here, went to a fast food restaurant, and it was packed. I was, it was a to-go order, and I'm standing there, and I'm waiting for the food, and there, there, it was just a packed uh, restaurant, because they were really slow, but besides the point. And I don't know why I'm shy of, of sharing this, right? But nevertheless... I actually, as I'm standing there, and this is a horrible thing to say, and a horrible state of where we are in society, I recognize that, I looked around and I thought, "Hmm." if somebody were to walk in here right now and open fire, where would I go? Where would I hide? Where would I run? Can I, could I get to the bathroom in time? Could I hide under a table? Isn't that horrible? No, Melissa I don't, I don't think so. Isn't that, isn't well, that just a horrible, horrible way to live? Well, yeah, I don't. I, it depends on how much you're thinking about this. I mean, if it's uh, something that pops in your mind, obviously it's uh, in the news a lot. It, it does happen a lot around the country. I have to admit, when I go to a movie theater, I tend to think that. Oh, if there's a lot of people, if it's a packed theater, I think that I was at a. I even think that it, Melissa. I'll yeah. be honest. I even think that um, if it's not a packed theater, yeah, you still just think any kind of theater. Now it's not. You know, I'm not constantly paranoid. You know, every sure, little sure, sound, sure. I'm I'm flinching, I'm turning, I'm running. Mm-hmm. No, but it just it, it it's not affecting your mind. life necessarily. No, but it's I'm not something... changing my life because sure, of it. But you're still thinking about it. And I went to a a farmer's market that was really busy the other day and I thought to myself hmm you know it's it's more of like hmm I wonder what I would do or I wonder if someone else is thinking about this or I'm sure other people are you're just not talking about it why it's probably because we've I, I don't know the answer to that it's probably because and I, I was kind of shy of just well, sharing you were this a little uncomfortable the, sharing I know, it, be, yeah. because I feel like people are gonna look at me and say oh Scott boy you know what the heck is gonna be no, uh, a nuclear bomb going off maybe you build a bomb shelter as well you know one of those doomsday people where I got cans of beans and well, I think mass shootings happen a little bit this. more often well, than yes right yeah obviously so I, am, am I alone here anybody else want to just share and I'm not do you go into a crowded place a concert a movie theater like I say, I was just waiting in a restaurant, waiting for food, and it was really busy, and the mind starts to wander, and, mm-hmm. and maybe it's because of the business that we're in. I was I just thinking that maybe that. it's because we read news every day, and you know it's in our face mm. constantly, but you know, I, I would have to say that's highly not uncommon, I would think, for people to think about this kind of situation, because I mean, if you think about it, it's been going on for decades now. Yeah, mass shootings, but they just seem to be more, more and more common nowadays. Well, if anybody wants to share, we'll we'll open up the lines. If you want to share, um, tell tell me I'm I'm wrong. I, I I don't want to be thinking this, but I do, and I don't think I'm alone. I don't know how many people are willing to openly say it, but I think it's just a matter of fact as to the the time we live in, and it speaks maybe not so much as to us, the individual who thinks it, but simply the problem that this country faces. And can I just say, is it so wrong to have the thought enter your mind so that if, God forbid, it actually happened, you have somehow prepared an escape route or an action plan for yourself to save your life? So is it really that wrong to think it? No, I don't think it's wrong. And I think another thing that a lot of people may think about 
is workplace shootings. That enters my mind quite often. What would I do? What would you do? Where Where would you go? go? Where would we seek protection? Like those kind of things. I mean, I know know a workplace shooting hasn't happened in quite a while, I don't think, in the United States, but they're not uncommon. And, you know, you just don't, you you want to at least know you have a route, right? You have a, a, a plan, we had that shooting. Remember in the Madison Middleton area last That's year. That's very true. Yeah, that uh, workplace. True. Yeah, situation. I mean, you just you just never know what's going to set someone off anywhere, any place that you're at. We'll open it up. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty on the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. How prevalent is the thought of a mass shooting in your daily life? In your go about life, your work about life. How often does that enter your mind? And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I really don't. It, it's uncomfortable to admit, but in the end, I don't. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Type one diabetes is an illness that affects more than one million people in the United States alone. It can affect both children and adults. Really has nothing to do with a person's diet or lifestyle, and it can strike at any time. There, um, we have got uh, less than a week. Less than a week now. If you would like to join WTMJ's Eric Bilstad in raising awareness and funds for the JDRF One Walk, it's this Saturday. Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, the One Walk, this Saturday. Still plenty of time, though. Go to WTMJ.com if you want to donate or join us on Saturday. Text the word CARES, 414-799-1620, to get the info and get involved. WTMJ CARES is powered by Watchery Industries and Premier Aluminum. We'll catch up with EB later in the week and uh, give us an idea of where we are in that initiative and get you ready for Saturday for uh, that great cause. Okay. Uh, in the first half hour of the show, if you're just joining us, I was we were talking about a story out of Michigan in which a school district is building a new school, and it has been suggested that there be subtle changes to the original plans so that there are elements of the building, the physical building, that could, could help uh, protect students and staff and faculty and whatnot in the case of a mass shooting. All the hallways are going to be curved, so the line of sight is impacted by a potential shooter. The makeup of the glass windows that look out into the hallways will be a a composite that are uh, bullet-resistant. Other little nuances. So we went through that, and then uh, kind of uh, I shared, when it comes to mass shootings, just how often the idea of a mass shooting enters your mind. And I admit, it enters my mind more than it ever used to. And it entered my mind on Friday as I was waiting at a fast food restaurant that was packed, waiting for my carryout order. And I just, as I'm standing there waiting a rather long time, I just started thinking, what if somebody came in right now and opened fire? Where would I go? What would I do? I remember looking and thinking, well, I'm too far away from the restroom, so I couldn't, you know, maybe make a dash for the for the bathrooms. I started looking around and thinking, well, I could maybe duck under a table over there. And then I kind of stopped myself and said, man, this is sad. This is This is a horrible thing to think about, but I can't be alone, am I? And many of you 
texting, and we've got a slew of calls we'll get to. And apparently I'm not alone. It's sad. I don't think it's on me. I think it's just the society we live in now. So I'm just curious how often these thoughts enter your mind. Okay. Many of you willing to share, and I appreciate it. Let's head to Orlando. Let's talk to Lamar. Hi, Lamar. Good afternoon. You're on WTMJ. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks um, for calling. I kind of, I was kind of talking with the screener about like all the preventive measures that we're doing right now. You know, I shouldn't say preventive. All the measures after the fact that we're doing to kind of deal with the fact that we're in a, we, we we live in this time of which like gun violence is like kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. We're spending millions of dollars on like we spending schools here in Harris County and Florida. All the schools have you know uh, two you know one and two deputies that are paid and armed in the, in the building. But you, as you were sitting talking about you being in a restaurant, <laughs> and I'm kind of going to switch switch my my thought here for a second. Yes, please. I have to think about mass shootings all the time. Growing up in urban Milwaukee, which you know in in an environment in which a lot of the guys, whether I don't know if it was legally or illegally, had guns. You know, playing ball like at the park and stuff like that. It was only a matter of you know it, it was always random. Somebody gets mad and then they pull a gun, and that's not how I view like like being in America now. All it takes is one person, whether they they have a gun legally or illegally, to have that one moment to decide to, to shoot and fire. And I carry, but it's not. And I, I get that everyone thinks that that that's going to make you safer. But if you're at that moment, you know maybe maybe you're sitting down eating a sandwich or you're in the middle of something, you're not going to have time to react and protect yourself. And I think that we, we, we're, we're, we're lying on ourselves trying to pretend like there's something we can do. And I, and I also will say this. I think we're also beyond the point of doing anything about it because there are so many guns out here, and with the rhetoric, and no one wants to well, calm down. Here's the thing, Lamar. Lamar, let me just interject. I don't necessarily okay. want to go – I understand the point you're making, and I don't necessarily right. want to turn this into a – a, a and it, it sounds silly to say, but a, a a gun debate. I get that debate. I totally do. But I, I'm yeah. curious more in the the psychological state of Americans when right. you're in an environment that has been impacted by mass shooting, a movie theater, a, some you know, a concert. Where do you act differently? Does that enter your you know, consciousness at all. What about you? It does. Mm-hmm. It does. It absolutely does. Mm-hmm. And I get a little, sometimes I get nervous, and sometimes I try not to think about it. I try to get into right. it. Like if I'm at the movie, so much. <laughs> yeah, like me that. too. But I'll be honest. I get paranoid sometimes. Yeah. And I don't think there's... Especially I, when the group's so large. Yeah. And I'm almost mad at myself sometimes when I think that. But on the other hand, it's it's only it's only natural that I think it happened. It's a sad state of affairs, but... It's, I think it's only natural that it happened. Thanks for the call, Lamar. Always appreciate you listening and calling us from the Sunshine State. Continue on here, 414-799-1620. Debbie in Greendale. Hi, Deb. Hi. Uh, hey, I've been in law enforcement for over 20 years, and what you guys are talking about is what's drilled into our heads from the time we're mm-hmm. recruits to have a pre-planned, practiced response. I tell all my family and friends about this. Always prepare for the unexpected. Sit by the, sit by the exit door in a movie theater. Think about if something goes wrong, where you can escape to. And it's exactly what you guys are discussing, what all of us in law enforcement think about every time we go to a call or 
an event or anything, think in your head before, make a plan, practice it, think about it, and implement it if you have to. So from somebody who works in law enforcement, that is, like you said, that's always something on your mind, simply because of the profession in which you you work. Correct. And you always have to have that mindset that even though things look wonderful, something could go bad. Isn't it something? Yeah. You have to be prepared. You have to react. Isn't it something, though, Debbie, that now we are at a point whereby... Individuals, citizens, those of us are, who are not in law enforcement right, have to thinking start like, thinking like thinking those like of you who are trained law enforcement professionals, though. Correct. Gosh. And that's that's what it's turned into. Mm-hmm. And when I heard you say that today, I thought, that's, that's our creed. <laughs> that's our profession. Mm-hmm. And now the burden is being placed on the public. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Debbie. I appreciate it very much. 414-799-1620 on the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We'll continue with more uh, calls and texts on this issue as it's evolved here in the last 47 minutes to just simply be how often does that idea, as horrific as it is, how often does that idea, that concept, enter your mind on a day-to-day basis or as you go about your workaday world or your leisurely weekends? This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Scott Warris sitting in for Jeff Wagner. Let's quickly go back to the phones. Uh, let's see. Jason in Milwaukee. Hi, Jason. Hey, how's it going? I'm okay. Your thoughts on this as mass shootings become more and more prevalent in our country? You know, kind of going back on what Deb was just saying, she's absolutely correct, even as a citizen who doesn't work in law enforcement personally. <laughs> You know, it all goes to situational awareness a lot of times um, and just kind of pre-planning those things. You know, anytime you go into a place, you kind of think of if there's a fire, where am I going to go? You drive your vehicle during the wintertime, you're not going to wear sandals because obviously if something happens to your vehicle, you're going to be prepared for an emergency. So even if it turns into like, you know, you think about mass shootings, um, yeah, I mean, it's more in the forefront of our minds now because it's in the news so often, but you think about it too. You know, anytime you go into a place, you want to go kind of think of those things like, where are my exits? You know, if somebody were to come in, what is my my plan, you know, of action? Because either you're going to have your flight or flight response. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I think we lost him. Thanks, Jason. We're losing you there. You may, uh, good point. I I, I think you. Um, I, I can't disagree with uh, anything you said there. Waterford and Jim, you're next up on WTMJ. Hi, how's it going? Hey, Jimmy. Okay, uh, normal day life, I don't think too much about it. Uh, the terrorist things, mm. I really don't think too much about it because I think our government's doing a good job at it. Uh, what really scares me is when I go into work and I find our security guys asleep at the desk. Oh. Like four of them that got fired for that already. Mm. Anybody can walk right Mass 
hysteria. Everybody's going to be so worried about everything else. It's just going to go nuts. Right. Well, I appreciate the call, Jim. You're right. I I mean, I think there's a point at which you can allow it to enter your mind, but don't let it overtake your mind. Don't don't obsess over it. But, you know, as I think this more over and and some great texts and calls, it's one of those things where it's it's okay to have the thought enter your mind if it leads you to think about a maybe an exit strategy or or a, a response that could help and Heaven forbid that you find yourself in that situation, but don't let it overwhelm you. Don't let it overtake everything you do and everything you think about. He mentioned the terrorism thing. You know what? When I fly, I mean, there was a time, look, I I would dare I make the assumption to say that all of us, within earshot of my voice, when you flew in the years, certainly months, but years after 9-11, did you ever fly and not think about that? Not think about what happened? Is that still the case now, 18 years later? Or because we have been safe in that respect from a an attack of that nature, now 18 years safe that way, do you still think about it? I'll admit, I think when I flew last year, the idea of you know hijacking a plane, crashing a plane into a building or whatnot, I don't think that thought even entered my mind. That was not the case some time ago. Hmm. Call Dennis. Thanks for holding. Uh, real quickly, some of the texts that we got here. You're not al- Scott, you're not alone, the 262. My wife jokes at me because I will not sit with my back to the door or any open windows when we go to a public place. From the 414, I work in retail. We have to do online active shooter training every three months, so it is on everyone's mind. That's another thing. If, you, if it's somehow... If it somehow impacts your work-a-day world, the training you take at work, it's going to enter your private life, obviously, I think, in terms of entering your mind. Um, 608, I think about mass shootings at sporting events when you're waiting to get in, like stadiums. Cars can drive up. Cars aren't checked. It can really hurt people if they wanted to. You mentioned Miller Park as an example. You're definitely not the only one thinking about it, as I do as well. Aaron in New Berlin, situational awareness, being cognizant of your environment is key to self-preservation. And the only way, see something, say something, is an effective tool in preventing or minimizing casualties in an attack of that nature. I appreciate that text uh, from Aaron and uh, many of you weighing in. Yeah, I'm, I'm not alone, and I, I appreciate those of you who are willing to uh, open up in the way that uh, I did and, and Melissa did as well. And it's something that's on our minds, sadly so. But uh, these are the times in which we live. Coming up on 1 o'clock, Melissa will get us caught up on the news. And then, the great debate, cash or no cash. Oh, we're going to get into this one. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner continues his vacation. You stuck with me. Ha! Scott, Scott War is sitting in for Jeff. Kyle producing the program. Melissa keeps us up to date, as you heard right there. Did you watch football yesterday, Kyle? Did you take in week one of the NFL season? I did, yeah. This is the day, of course, after week one where it's the... And you really don't have any other... You know, you can only... 
He can only make assumptions and draw conclusions be- from one week's worth of football, but this is usually the day where everybody now sits back and starts to make sweeping observations and assumptions and predictions based on one lousy game, one week's worth of games, and every and, and you're going to get a lot of uh, overreaction and underreaction, and you just have to bring back all this audio after the fact. You really don't know what football teams are, professional football teams are, until you get Wayne Wayne Larravee. The first one that I ever heard say it was, "You don't know what a team is until you get into October. You need four or five weeks, and then you realize." what a team is, and how healthy they may be obviously impacts things. Uh, but I think we can assume the Patriots are good. We didn't necessarily need the one game to tell us that. You know who is good? Who? Gardner Minshew. Does yeah, that... he, he was the quarterback from Washington State. Yeah, that's right. Came in for Nick Foles. He completed like over 85, 80% of his passes. Look at you talking Jacksonville Jaguars football. Oh, yeah. Let me guess. He was on your fantasy team. No, no. Back the the number two quarterback for the Jaguars. I don't know how thorough you are making sure you got all your bases covered. It's a deep bench. Oh, man. Yeah, this is also the day where people. Okay, we can rant about this now. This is also the day where now people are lamenting their fantasy football decisions and things like that. There are very few things in sports that bore me more than fantasy football conversation on television or radio. Nobody cares about your pretend football team. Should I play this guy or this guy? I don't know. Let's ask it on a 50,000-watt radio station. This just is ridiculous. Nobody cares. Talk about it in the office. And even in the office, I don't care. Nobody cares. About the, I mean, I, I'm not alone. There have to be, and I know there's a lot, I know fantasy football is huge, and it's a big thing, and it's popular, and, you know, I understand it's an industry now unto its own. I get all of it. I just don't care, and I think there's a lot of people out there who also just don't care as well. <sighs> yeah, you really want to tick me off, start talking fantasy football around me. Hey, uh, my guy, uh, this one player that I had on my team can't believe he played horribly who cares i don't it doesn't matter and then you have the shows where it's call up and ask the expert the the fantasy football expert and you're supposed to ask you know let's say kyle you're the fantasy football guru from vegas and then you take the calls and you say all right you're on with kyle hey uh this is uh, gary in west Dallas. should i play i don't know name two players should i play this guy or this guy that question, there's nothing else like it in radio or television whereby that question is simply unique to you. Nobody else cares. Nobody else cares. Yeah, thank you, 262. Brady gave me 83 points yesterday and won my week for me. Now, nah, see, that's nah, funny. Funny, funny. I get it, but I am just utterly bored with it. Utterly bored with it. There's fantasy sports for everything, but there's nothing like fantasy football. There really isn't. You know those discussions are going on in the halls of different workplaces right now. What'd your team do? I don't care. I don't care how your team did. I don't care who your quarterback was. I really don't. And you know that there's other those of you out there who don't care either. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's talk about cash, shall we? For those of you who know, I am very much pro-cash. I do not have a lot of plastic in my wallet. I do not have a credit card. 
Never had a credit card. Never. The question now is slowly becoming more popular, more common. The end of a cash-filled society and the number of lawmakers that are trying to push back and say, hold on, hang on, we should perhaps look into laws, ordinances, and whatnot that mandate retail stores take cash. Uh, to take cash. USA Today writes, today, it's becoming more and more common. You grab a sandwich for lunch, pick out a new pair of jeans, then tap your phone or hand over your credit card because paying with cash is no longer an option. It may be quick, it may be easy, but is it fair? As they mention, lawmakers from Philadelphia to San Francisco, including here in Wisconsin, several cities and states have passed or are considering bills that prohibit retailers from refusing to accept cash. Now, what do they say? They say they're shutting out millions of Americans who don't have a bank account, lack credit cards. Hey, everybody, that's me. And don't have photo ID. Uh, photo ID. There are socioeconomic reasons why many households throughout the U.S. are unbanked. That's a word I haven't heard before. Until we can remove such hurdles, we need to ensure that Philadelphia, they're talking with the, a spokesman for the mayor, Philadelphia, for example, is a place where all people can enjoy and, uh, and benefit from fully participating in all aspects of our economy. This is a little bit disconcerting for a cash lover, such as myself. Some retailers are cutting out cash to speed up transactions. It's faster that way. Reduce the risk of theft and accommodate the increased use of credit and debit cards, as well as digital wallets like Apple Pay and Google Pay. In New Jersey, a requirement that most retail businesses accept cash took effect in March. San Francisco, in May. Massachusetts has prohibited cashless merchants for 41 years. There you go. New York and Washington have introduced their own versions of such laws. Now, like I said, there is something similar here in Wisconsin being considered right now. As uh, we learned a couple of weeks ago, there was a bill introduced by Republican State Rep. Gary Tauschen, I believe is how you pronounce it, and four fellow Republicans, calls for a fine of not less than $200 and up to $5,000 for each time a retail store merchant refuses to accept cash in a face-to-face transaction with a consumer. So, let's have the great debate, shall we? 414-799-1620 on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 414-799-1620. Where would you come down in this great cash debate? Is it time that people who are strictly cash wise up, as I have heard, (laughs) wise up to the technology, to plastic, to the ability to pay for things with your phone and whatnot? Or is there a place in 2019 for cash? And is it a situation whereby politicians should be stepping in and saying, listen, if you want to be in the retail business, you've got to accept cash. You can't outlaw cash payments. So let's do this. I tell you where I stand right out of the gate. I am very much cash. Not that I'm anti-plastic or anti-technology in terms of form of payment, 
Just, hey, for those of us who like cash, let us still buy things in your store. Why would you not want us who open a wallet and hand you paper currency as authorized by the United States Treasury, why would you turn that down? Why would you not want that? I understand some of the reasons, as I mentioned, uh, you know, you, you prevent maybe theft and things like that. It, it's it's faster it, or it's a little slower to pay with cash. Why? Because there's math involved and you got to be behind the register and it'll do it for you. 414-799-1620 on the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's have the great cash debate. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. There's a lot of me in that commercial break, wasn't there? <laughs> Send it to break, voice the Brewer promo, do the home market, come back and do the show. <laughs> uh, all right, here we go. The great cash debate. Wisconsin is among several states across the country that are either looking at or other states have already imposed restrictions keeping retail stores from not accepting cash. And the case is being made why some of these companies are just not taking that as a form of payment. And as somebody who is a cash lover myself, no, don't. I mean, don't you want my business? Do you not want my money? I don't know that I've ever walked into a retail store that did not allow cash and I was turned away. How much would that really stink? You're going into a, I don't know, department store or whatever, and you, you're you looking for maybe a new clothes or a couple of shirts, whatever, and you, it takes you forever to find it. Then you get up to the area where you check out and they say, oh, sorry, sir, we don't get cash. I just spent a half hour in your store trying to pick something out and I can't pay I will give you money, and you will not accept it because it's cash. Come on. All right, the great cash debate. Somebody go at it with me here. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I'm fired up. Josh Greenfield, we'll start with you. Hey, Josh. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Um, I just want to address the, the idea that uh, using plastic is faster. I just think that's totally not true at all. Yeah. I mean, nowadays, especially... You got to swipe it, then it's like, oh, please insert the chip. Right. And then you got to select debit or credit. Yep. And then you have to go through and either your zip code or your pin or your signature mm-hmm. on, or they got to print it. You know, whatever happened to, you know, here's a $20 bill, put yes. it on pump five. I thought of the same thing. I was at Target the other day, and the lady in front of me was playing with a credit card. So she inserts it into the machine, got to wait for the chip to be recognized, then the printout of the receipt. Now she's signing it. Now she's giving it back to the, to, to the, to the clerk. It's just, this is, this is taking a long time. I'm with you. The argument that, oh, it just takes too long to pay with cash. What? I mean, like I said, with all the newfangled technology we have, cash registers will do the math for you. You don't need to, heaven forbid you got to do math, but nevertheless, you don't need to do the math and say, okay, the total was $17.32. He gave me a $20 bill. Oh, man, he owed, you know, you don't have to do that. The machine does it for you. Fired up. Thank you, Josh. Good point. All right. There's one. Josh is in my corner. Let's go to Pewaukee. Let's talk to Jeff. Hi, Jeff. You're on WTMJ. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Good subject. Uh, I don't think it's faster or slower either. I, I could debate that both ways. But the reason I prefer credit is, A, it's a lot cleaner. It's my card, not someone else's pocket or God knows what. 
money is very dirty. Oh, you mean the, number... the, the, the literal cleanliness of it? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay, okay. And also, if you're going to establish credit, um, credit card's a great way to start as long as you pay your debt. This is true. So, I mean, people that don't say, I don't have credit cards, well, you might have credit somewhere else, but mm. credit is the ability to pay back. And I've never paid interest on my credit cards. So there, I'm, I'm not a good fan. I'm not a good customer of theirs, but it builds great credit. This is true. You are, you are taking a page out of the Clark Howard playbook. I know Clark Howard has for many, many years said, get a credit card. And if you're going to do anything, just use that credit card to pay for gas. Right. You know, if you do that once a week. Yeah. Another important tip is never spend more than 30% of what credit limit they give you Hmm. because now you look like a risk. So you don't go up to your $5,000 limit and pay it all off. That's not going to help you. So 30% is the magic number. Never go above. Let's pay it off. All right, Jeff. Thanks for the call. I'll be honest. The the, the cleanliness of cash... That that's that doesn't even register for me. No pun intended. That does not even enter my my thinking. Does that? I mean, ooh, I wonder where this five dollar bill has been. <laughs> you wash your hands like you would anybody. Stay clean that way. I once mm, I once found a ten dollar bill at the floor of the restroom in Miller Park. I picked it up. Mm-hmm. Wendy in Milwaukee. Hi, Wendy. You're on WTMJ. Hello. What say you? Where do you come down to the great cash debate of 2019? I agree with you. Yes. I think that people should be able to use the cash if they want. What if I want to send my son to the store and have him pay something with cash? I don't want to have to give him my credit card to use. Yeah. How would he be able to buy it? Exactly. Exactly. I, I'm with you, Wendy. I appreciate the call. Thank you so much. All right. We're doing well. We're doing well. Let's head south of the border. Talk to Dave in Illinois. Hi, Dave. Yeah, Scott. Thank you for call. Uh, thank you for taking my call. You called um, me. The very first caller <laughs> stole a little bit of my thunder about the time in line, but I'm getting at something much deeper here. And before I get into it, just think of what purchasing music is like nowadays. All right. Now there is a electronic record for everything you do. Right. Someone can keep track of all the music you buy. Now they're keeping track of everything you purchase. And what say someday somebody hacks the computers or when someday the government takes over all credit cards and it's Oh, so you, Okay, society. so so your 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 argument for cash is in light of Big Brother being able to track credit or debit cards you're saying. Yeah, if any listeners remember a movie called 1984, Oh, big, all big, all big brothers watching, huh, Dave? Yeah, and, and a song <laughs> well, by Rush called Twenty One Twelve. All right, thanks for the call, Dave. I, I understand the point you're making, Dave, but when it comes to Big Brother watching, I just assume they know where I am at all times anyway. If you have a smartphone, if you have a cell phone of any kind, I just assume that if the CIA needed to find me for some reason, they would find me. I'm. My phone is pinging to some satellite tracking me at all times anyway. So that that aspect of it doesn't necessarily freak me out at all, but I understand the point you're making. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The All-American Window and Door We Love Wisconsin Tour, presented in part by Travel Wisconsin, coming to your neighborhood next up. John Mercure takes the show on the road. 
Talking, about, of course, about Wisconsin's afternoon news. Uh, that's going to be this Friday. Okaji Lake. Be in the lake. This will be, uh, in all likelihood, the wettest Wisconsin's afternoon news show they've ever had. They will be in the lake. No, they won't. On the lake, floating on a raft in the middle of the lake. Uh, John, Melissa, Debbie, Greg, they'll all be out there. It'll be nice weather. This Friday, John Merck here, Golden Mast Inn. I'm joking, of course. Come by and say hello this Friday from 3 to 6. That's the Golden Mast Inn on Okachi Lake. It's the We Love Wisconsin Tour. It's a great spot and a great fish fry, too. 137. Scott Warris in for Jeff Wagner. Promised we'd carry this through just a couple moments longer because we've had some patient callers here. We head across the pond. We talk to Scott in Michigan. Hi, Scott. Where do you come down in the great cash debate? There's no pond between the UP and Wisconsin. Oh, you're in the UP. I didn't know that. It just says Michigan. So I don't know if, what am, part of Michigan. So we're going to go up yeah, yeah. up to Scott. Yeah. Okay, go ahead, Scotty. Yeah. I'm a cheesehead by birth, Uber by blood. But here we go. In most <laughs> cases, if you have it, cash is king hmm. for more than one reason. Paper trails, sometimes you get a discount with cash. And, you know, a lot of times you don't pay no taxes on cash if you're buying stuff, you know, using whatever. And then, you know, most importantly... I hope somebody in Wisconsin, some big retail store, does turn that in and make it credit cards only. Because if you look on the bottom of any bill, it said this note is legal tender for all debts, private and public. Mm-hmm. So that means I'm getting me a lawyer. So go ahead. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's Try just it. what we we need this heading to the court system. That's exactly what we need. Thanks, Scotty. I appreciate the call. Oh, boy. Here you go. Lynn and Adele. Lynn. Hi, Scott. I'm a cash user. Yes. Only a cash user, but I don't want the government stepping in to tell businesses they have to take cash. That's where I'm torn on this, too. I I don't like that idea, even though it's something that is certainly in my favor. That's the one part of this whole saga that does have me kind kind of gritting my teeth. And like the gentleman before pointed out, like when you go and get gas, a lot of times you get a discount for giving them cash. And I'm all in for the discount on gas. This is true. This is true. All right, Lynn, I'll put a vote down for you. Thanks for the call. All right, bye. Um, one more on the on the text line here, the 262. Good afternoon, Scott. Cash should always be an acceptable form of payment. I was recently berated at a local grocery store for using cash at a self-checkout lane. Really? The machine would not take the bill that I was attempting to pay with. Oh, must have been crumpled or crumpled or something. The clerk seemed inconvenienced by having to come over and manually complete the transaction, informing me that it would have been quicker if I had used a credit card. Yes, because heaven forbid the grocery store clerk have to do you know something that's part of their job description, apparently. 414 says businesses don't trust their employees and don't want them handling cash. Is that really is that really a reason why a lot of these retail stores are looking to get away from a cash society? That's pretty sad if you just don't tr- if that's what you mean you just don't trust your employees to handle cash. You know one little thing I do sometimes when I'm paying for something with cash. This, this is, try this. If you as I said, if you paid for something and let's say the total is $16.42, whatever, 
and you give them a $20 bill. See if you can add up how much change you're getting back faster than the cash register. It'll keep you sharp. All right, a couple people want to get in on this yet? I'll move on here. Um, Mike in Bayview, what say you? Hi, yes, sir. Uh, calling in from Bayview, yeah. and uh, I'm just calling. Uh, I just kind of tuned in, but I wanted to mention uh, with the great cash debate that uh, one of the biggest things that's kind of taking shape is Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, mm-hmm. and the blockchain technologies that are being developed right now. Um, right now, currently, uh, just in our Milwaukee area, I know of about four or five Bitcoin ATM machines. Um, that's going to, in my opinion, take place over the old system of cash and checks and things that you're just mentioning. Um, um, you know, there's a yeah, public ledger. And I, I know that, that that there has been this movement in recent, I guess, years, but specifically, you know, the last couple of years. Uh, I'll, when it comes to you know cryptocurrency, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll Bitcoin. I'll believe it when I see it. I mean, I think I need a little bit more momentum yeah. going for that before I really consider that as a viable option, I'll be honest with you, Mike? I mean, um, you know, I don't I don't even know how much people are aware. I mean, right. you can buy airline tickets with, with uh, Bitcoin nowadays. Yeah. You can transfer, you got a relative who lives overseas who's uh, in, say, Africa, for example. You can send Bitcoin overseas to a private wallet to, say, your niece's wallet, overseas and that person can take that money take that bitcoin cash it out into the local currency wow. it's it's almost equivalent to a digital version of gold sure um and it's it's been uh bitcoin's been proven to never be uh hasn't been hacked yeah. yet no i, I um, appreciate it mike i gotta move on here and i i'm i don't i don't no i'm not in on the bitcoin thing yet um We'll close with this, a text from the 262 saying, this is ridiculous. If a business wants to only take plastic, that's their right. If you don't like it, shop somewhere else. Less government. Now, I'm already, I've admitted that that is my, that is the struggle that I have in this. I'm not saying, incidentally, that businesses do not have the right as a private entity, that they do not have the right to accept what they want. I'm just saying that if I was running a retail business, a store, I would I would accept cash. And for those of us who use cash as the primary, if not sole method of payment, I don't like that trend. I do not like that trend. Do I like the fact that government is stepping in to somehow curb that trend? I don't necessarily like that either. I would like to think that stores would recognize the advantage to allowing any and every possible form of currency. But if it hits their bottom line, maybe if they see enough of a dent in the bottom line, then they would either change what they're doing or realize that cash is king, as many of you have texted in. I appreciate the calls. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Kyle and I were debating. During the break, we asked people what they think of a 1% hike in the sales tax, the county sales tax. I think I know where everybody, pretty much, not everybody, okay, let me rephrase that. I think I know where most people would count on that. Who wants any 1%, or, or is that not a big deal? By the way, there is something to the fact that they would make this binding referendum, and you heard Tony talk about it, they would make this binding referendum 
be part of the April 2020 ballot, which, as we said at the end of last hour, I think will be heavily driven by Democrats because it's the Democratic primary. So you're going to get a heavy, a heavy Democrat turnout, which plays into the favor, I think, of those who are in favor of this. Lena texting in saying, keep in mind that a binding referendum allows politicians to be unaccountable. Now, there's something to be said for that. Look, the people have the people have spoken. The people want this. Who are we to blame? We're giving the people what they want. So anyway, this is certainly the local story of the day. As I said, John will have more coming up in an hour in Wisconsin's afternoon news. But again, if you just join us, Milwaukee leaders, county, city, uh, seeking authority for a binding referendum. That means we would vote and it would become... It would become law, so let it be written, so let it be done. A binding referendum on a 1% increase in local sales tax. And if they get it through the through Madison, which will be a little tricky considering the Republicans in control there, we would see it in the spring primary ballot. This weekend, this past weekend, in Toronto, a movie debuted at the Toronto International Film Festival, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Have you seen the trailer for this, Kyle? Have you? Yeah, seen I saw it. What do you think? This is the movie Tom Hanks starring as Fred Rogers, of Mr. Rogers' fame, of course. He passed away in 2003, did Fred Rogers. But anyway, it's A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Tom Hanks, you've seen the, you've seen the trailer. What did you take away from the trailer? What do you think of it? It looks fine. I mean, I saw the, um, what's the word for it? A documentary on, on yeah. Fred Rogers. Um, and that was, I think it was called Won't You Be My Neighbor or something like that. You're right. And that was terrific. It was great. And so I, I don't really feel a need to see Tom Hanks being Fred Rogers because I saw the documentary. I saw the Fred Rogers. That's fair. And the documentary was, you know, put out to rave reviews and whatnot. But the movie itself, as I say, as it de- uh, debuted up in Canada, and it debuted to rave reviews. They talk about the audience in the theater wiping their eyes. Very emotional uh, for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. It's going to open here in theaters in mid uh, late November, the twenty second. It's not a. It's not a, uh, is it biopic or biopic? I've heard it pronounced both ways. Biopic. Biopic. Data or data? What is it? Well, that's tomato, tomato, but it is biopic. (laughs) Biopic. Because it, well, anyway. But it, so it's not that about Rogers, but it does dramatize the true story of a magazine journalist who went to Pittsburgh to profile Rogers for Esquire magazine. As I said, it's called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, focusing on how an encounter with the hypersensitive, open-hearted Rogers transformed the cynical New York reporter. They talk about Hank's performance. Uh, they say it's only a part of the drama, but his gentle, whole-body transformation. And he really does transform into Fred Rogers. I, I encourage you to go out there. It's, it's out there on YouTube and whatnot to watch the trailer. One of the side note here. I recognize that Tom Hanks is a he's a he's a good actor, a very good actor, an accomplished actor, award-winning actor. But one of the one of the critiques that I would make of Tom Hanks, you know, is simply I don't feel as if he 
I feel as if Tom Hanks is always kind of the same person in every character he plays. And I understand he's played a whole wide variety of you know, performances and, and supposedly a wide variety of characters. But it's always, I just, I watch his movies and I think that's Tom Hanks playing the role of a guy stranded on an island. Tom Hanks playing the role of fill in the blank with, you know, a league of their own. There's Tom Hanks playing the role of a man, baseball manager back during World War II. Um, Tom Hanks playing the role of James Lovell. I, I, I can't really watch a film that he's in and think, by gosh, he is that person. On the other hand, that is what I think when I watch an actress, for example, like Meryl Streep or Daniel Day-Lewis, right? Played Lincoln and became Lincoln. I mean, that, that was, I was watching Honest Abe on stage. Or, like I say, Meryl Streep is, is, so that's why I've always, as great as Tom Hanks is in terms of accomplishments, I've always, I just have not been able to get on board the Tom Hanks, you know, uh, um, fan club as so many other people. I enjoy his movies, I enjoy his acting, but I never see Tom Hanks as as the person like I would a Daniel Day-Lewis or or uh, or a Meryl Streep. Do you think that's do you be- what I'm saying here? Do you think that's because he kind of just looks the same? Like with with his characters, I Maybe. can't it's like Sully, he did Sully. I can't remember who he was yeah. before then when he, he just did the looked ship. like older Tom Hanks being Sully. Right. With a mustache. Yeah. yeah. Well, so when you say Daniel Day-Lewis, like he has the whole transformation um and I, I mean, Meryl Streep doesn't really have that, I guess. But Tom but Hardy, guess, somebody suggesting yeah. a, a Mitch text Tom Hardy, you know, really gets into the or um, who's the one playing the Joker in this movie? Uh, that this one that's Joaquin out here. Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix, or like Heath Ledger did in the prior, uh, uh, you know, Joker. Like Christian Bale was yes. the, the vice president. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Teenage. Christian Christian Bale became. I saw that movie too. Christian Bale became Dick Cheney. Crazy. Anyway, I never feel as if Tom Hanks becomes that character. Somebody mentions Forrest Gump. Maybe, maybe. But even then, I thought it was just Tom Hanks with an accent. Him as Fred Rogers is Forrest Gump, aged 30 years. Well, but, okay, so here's what I'm leading up to by making this commentary about Tom Hanks' acting skills, as I see it. I really think in this respect... This is as close to becoming a character in the movie as I've ever seen Tom Hanks. I'm really, really struck by the trailer. Um, and, and so I feel like this has the potential to maybe be as close to what I'm hoping for out of a Tom Hanks role as any. At any rate, that's a side note about acting. We can maybe get into that another time as well. Nevertheless, I'm really interested in how... The idea of a Fred Rogers here in 2019, he passed away in 2003. I think he was in his mid-early 70s. So he's been gone for 16 years. And yet I have a feeling as if this movie is really going to strike a chord with American and really worldwide, but for our sake of conversation, with American moviegoers. I really do. And I think there's something about who Fred Rogers was, who Mr. Rogers was, that is incredibly indelible and 
I think always will be. And there's a couple different reasons why. And I'm wondering if you would agree with me on that. There's something about Mr. Rogers here in 2019 that still strikes a chord with adults and I think with children as well. But as an adult, I speak from an adult perspective. There's something going on here, and I want to know how you would explain it. I've got a few different explanations myself, but I want to know if you agree or disagree with me. I'm really interested in seeing this movie, and I think there's several reasons behind that, some deeper reasons behind that. 414-799-1620 on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We'll get into that in just two minutes here. Scott Warris in for Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Not today, not today. Scott Warris in for Jeff. You mentioned, Kyle, that you saw the Won't You Be My Neighbor, the documentary about Fred Rogers last year. It brought in $12.4 million in ticket sales. It was the highest grossing documentary of 2018. We had it here in Milwaukee, and I think it almost... All of the all of the theaters, I know I know Marcus like the big ones on South Shore, the North Shore had it, and the Avalon and uh, the Oriental as mm-hmm. well on the East Side. Hmm. What is the reason for that success? What is the reason for that success of that documentary? I think there'll be some success to the to the Tom Hanks movie coming out. There's a few words that come to mind, and I think. The ones that I just I, I jotted a couple things down. There was an authenticity to what Fred Rogers brought. There, there was never a a there was never a perceived element of ratings push or doing what is popular in terms of children's television. There, there was such a there was such a an authenticity to the message that he brought to, to what he was trying to share with young kids. So you think about that genuine character. And I'll be honest, I think that the secret to the success that he had was that he treated kids with respect. He treated kids as a peer. They were one with him. He brought himself to their level. He raised kids. I watched it as a kid. I know many of you did as well. He brought the kids up to an adult level, treated them, looked at them on the level. And there's been all kinds of things written about, obviously, I'm not breaking any news here, the impact that Rogers has had and Rogers had on so many lives and kids and television and children's programming and things like that. But he, And there's not a lot that still treats kids on that level, but he really was the first. And the point is being made by people, too, that in some ways the movie like this and what he was and what he embodied is kind of the opposite of what we have now in terms of being humble not bringing preconceived bias into anything related to what was on that television program whatsoever. So I predict big things for this movie. I really do. And I look forward to seeing it. And I encourage people to see it as well. I missed the documentary. I wish I would have seen the documentary. Might be able to get it now uh, secondhand-wise. So, uh, again, it's uh, a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Tom Hanks, November 22nd, big hit north of the border. And um, coming to a theater near you very soon. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
continuing on, Scott Warrison for Jeff. Again, the big story following uh, into the afternoon hours. The news that leaders of Milwaukee, the city, and the county are going to Madison to seek the authority for a binding referendum to increase our local county sales tax to 1%. And uh, if they if they get their way, we would be voting on that next spring on the spring ballot. 226, just a couple moments here before the bottom of the hour. We'll get to uh, got a rather eclectic arrangement of great Scott stories that I want to bring uh, after the 2.30 news. You know, we were uh, spitballing off the air. We were talking about actors, and I was talking about how, while I enjoy Tom Hanks' movies and all that, I, I don't quite put him on par with Daniel Day-Lewis, uh, Meryl Streep, those actors, actresses that really become the character they're playing. And as you're sitting there watching them on the big screen, you think, my gosh, you, you, don't, even, you don't even recognize the actor anymore. You, you, you truly think that you're watching the character on, on the big screen. Maybe we'll do that on Friday. We'll do that maybe after 2.30. Over, over-hyped, over uh, what's the word? Overrated actors, and I'm not saying Tom Hanks is, but it just kind of got us to thinking. It's something that's fun to think about that. Everybody can come up with the, the great actors, the ones they love to watch, current or you know in the past, but it's sometimes fun to think, how in the world is that person, that guy, how does that woman continue to get, continue to get acting gotten jobs? Um, real quickly, I just wanted to mention this, and we've had it in the news. I know they had it on the morning show yesterday and uh, today, but yesterday was... The final game for Rob Edwards as the public address announcer out at Miller Park. Rob has done the PA duties for the Brewers since uh, really full-time since 1999, but even in 98 or so he began filling in for the late Bob Betts. Anyway, yesterday was Rob's last day as the voice at Miller Park, the booming voice you hear, you know, announcing the starting lineups and all that other stuff. And Rob and I had a, I had a, I was really fortunate to work with him, not here at WTMJ. Of course, he was the long, long, long time uh, voice in the morning show with Rob Edwards and Sherry Preston and Mark Reardon and Jim Irwin and Tom Carr uh, on the morning show. But I had a chance to work with Rob Edwards. Uh, at WOKY. That's where I started when it was still a music format. That's where Rob uh, went after he left the morning show here at WTMJ. So we're talking, was that 04, 05, 06 or so? Rob would do the midday show, pl- spin the tunes at WOKY. I was working on the morning show, things like that. And I've got to say, and, and for many of you who know him, listen to him, have met him at some point in time, really sad that he's not uh, going to be doing the baseball games because it was still great to, to hear his voice. And, and the word, and Eric Bilstad and the gang this morning were talking about Rob, the, the word that comes to mind whenever I think of Rob, and I still have a chance to kind of chat with him from time to time, is class. Rob is one of the classiest people I have ever met in this business. Now, I have not been in this business nearly as long as Rob or a lot of people here in these halls, but there is nobody classier than Rob Edwards. And for somebody who, you know, was just kind of learning the business and, and coming up and trying to just kind of glean and soak up as much knowledge and radio kind of moxie as, as, as I could and as I still can, 
to be able to rub elbows with Rob Edwards at a young age as I was at WOKY was just one of the great privileges of my life. So I wish Rob all the best now in retirement uh, from the Brewers. Just think he'll be able to maybe do some things during the days or in the evenings that he wasn't able to do before simply because of the Brewers' schedule that he was working. But I'll miss hearing Rob out there at Miller Park. And I know I'm not alone when I talk about the class that he brings to everything he does. I talked to him a couple months ago. It was July, right? Yeah. It was the anniversary here in Milwaukee of the famous tie of the All-Star game. So I called him up because Rob was the voice, the public address voice at Miller Park for that All-Star game that ended in a tie. And he tells the great story about how the note was passed up to him in the booth that, look, if neither team scores at the end of this inning, the powers that be, Bud Selig and company, have decided that this game will end in a tie. Well, how are the fans going to find out? we got to have it announced over the public address system. And that's where Rob came in and had to say if the, something to the effect of, fans, the, it has been decided that if neither team scores after the, what was it, 10th or 11th inning, this game will end in a tie. And he chuckled because as he said it, the booze came cascading down from Miller Park. And you can remember, and he admitted when we talked back in July, he admitted he was a little bit, a little bit concerned. He didn't know how fans would react. You know, might they throw something or just how rowdy would it get? You know, there he's sitting at the front row of the press box, not too far away from the first row of the stands. And there was some trepidation, Rob said, when it came to announcing that decision because they did not know how fans would react. Nevertheless, I just wanted to make mention of that because uh, I've been really blessed in my uh, radio life to learn and meet and rub elbows with some of the very best in this market, some of the real class acts. And there is no classier person in broadcasting that I have ever met. Nobody tops Rob Edwards, and uh, wish him well in his retirement, but we'll miss him. And the booming voice welcoming us to beautiful Miller Park next time I go to a ball game. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Two thirty-seven. Jeff Wagner is off today. Scott Warris with you for the next few days as Jeff takes some much needed and. Uh, much deserved time off, rest and relaxation. While he does, not only am I here noon to three, but I'm also always making time for Great Scott. Heinz Ketchup has debuted something that they feel is going to help those of us who are always trying to get that ketchup out of the bottle. You know that's a struggle. Do you take the knife and do you kind of loosen things up? Maybe maybe you don't have to do that anymore. Heinz has introduced what it's calling the poor, 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 P-O-U-R, perfect bottle. The poor, perfect bottle. At first glance, the bottle simply looks as though they've been given crooked labels. They released a video this week by which the company explains the labels are purposely designed to provide a visual guide to the perfect pouring angle. So these labels look crooked when the bottle is standing straight up. But if you turn the bottle in a direction and at an angle such that the label looks like it's correct, well, now you've got the bottle in perfect pour angle. 
Does that make sense? Tip the bottle to the optimum angle. Is it a marketing stunt? Maybe. Apparently, Heinz has really made some of the bottles for the public to buy. You're not going to find any here for now. Uh, the report says bottles only available in Canada. Why only Canada? Why can't we try these things out? They're testing them for a limited time in the greater Toronto area. And you can see, yeah, so the label is kind of cockeyed. But if you t- bottle so that the label looks right, then the bottle's at an angle by which the ketchup should flow. By the way, never, here, here's a fun fact, never hit the bottom of the bottle because, you know, science tells us then the force pushes back. I don't know which one of Newton's, the Newton law, something like that. I can't remember which one. But if you look at the, at the bottom of the neck of a Heinz ketchup bottle, there's the tiny 57. You know that? So what you do is, and this is my tip to you now, you hold the bottle at any angle you want. Forget the label. Hold it at any label, at any angle you want, and then you, with your with the base of your palm, hit the 57 mark. So you've got, picture this now, you've got the, the bottle sideways, and you can't get it out. What you do is you take the bottom of your wrist, I'm kind of doing this here, which is not doing any good except for Kyle who can see it, and you... Hit the 57 mark with the palm of your hand. That's the perfect angle and the perfect, if you will, pressure point to get the ketchup out of the bottle. That's why they put, in large part, that's why they put that tiny 57 there. I don't know if people realize that or not. Did you realize that? Did you know that? I learned that at my first job as a busboy. There you go. There you go. So anyway, we're bringing you that tip, and hopefully that helps until we get the perfect pour bottle of Heinz ketchup here in the Milwaukee market. We'll stay on the food tone or the food note for a beat longer. Sniffing a lemon, according to a new study, can make people feel slim. Hmm. A small study suggests the smell of lemons can help people feel thinner and lighter. Sniffing a lemon makes people feel slim, according to new research. The aroma boosts body image and improves self-esteem. The author of the study says our brain holds several mental models of one's own body appearance, which are necessary for successful interactions with the environment. These body perceptions are continuously updated in response to sensory inputs received from outside and inside the body. Okay. Fair enough. On the other hand, the pungent smell of ooh, vanilla had the opposite effect. You feel fat if you smell vanilla. Hmm. Some say it could lead to novel and more effective therapies for people with body perception disorders or the development of interactive clothes and wearable technology. So you can make all your clothes smell like lemon, then you can feel thin. It smells like vanilla, uh, vanilla then you feel fat. The findings presented at an international conference on human-computer interaction in Cyprus is the first to analyze how smell affects body image. So as you head to your refrigerator or your cabinets in the kitchen later tonight, just remember, if you smell vanilla, you're going to think that you're fat. If you smell a lemon, you will feel thinner. And that is certainly making something out of lemons anyway. And we know how serious the vaping epidemic has become in this country. A school in Alabama has taken the drastic step 
of removing the stall doors in some of the boys' bathrooms to keep kids from vaping. Hmm. Wilson High School principal Gary Horton says every day one of the students will sneak off to a bathroom to vape. He says a couple of weeks ago, a student was found passed out in a stall. Serious situation, clearly. Some parents are taking issue with the school's solution, though. One dad said, me, a parent, I think personally that's a little excessive. Parents say a better solution would be to have an adult in the hallway or in the bathroom to make sure no one is vaping. I don't like it. They take their only private place in the school and they can do their, that they can do their business. The principal says... The door removals could be temporary as they work to figure out other solutions. A little bit extreme, don't you think? Hmm. Went in the bathroom, no stall doors, trying to stop vaping, but also inconveniencing people who are trying to do other things in the stalls as well, wouldn't you say? That comprises a Monday Wagner Show edition of... Great!